0: Good morning. Today, uh, let's open our Bibles up to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses two through 16. 2 Corinthians 7, chap, uh, verses two through 16. In verse two it says, Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have, che- we have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech to you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I'm filled with comfort. I'm exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus and not only by his coming but but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me so that I rejoiced even more. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death for observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything, for if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed, but as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so, our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I have confidence in you in everything. There's a familiar story of uh, David and Bathsheba, uh, where David saw her on the roof and he took her and he slept with her and he had, Her husband Uriah killed. Uh, And after this sin, David didn't have any remorse or repentance for about a year. Uh, God brought along the prophet Nathan to confront David about his sin. Imagine this, just put yourself in, in Nathan's shoes. Imagine you're coming up to the king and you have to tell him about his sin and confront him about it. How would you feel? You know, is he gonna accept my correction, my rebuke? You know, is he gonna listen to what I have to say? Is he gonna cut off my head? Is he gonna get too angry? What if he doesn't repent? What if he hardens his heart and doesn't listen at all? Is it worth my time to correct him? These must have been the same thoughts that were racing through Paul's head when he wrote to the Corinthians. David repented and Nathan could say that the Lord had forgiven David. When the Corinthians repented, Paul could praise them because of their diligence and their repentance. Through both of these situations, not only was there repentance and forgiveness, but there was peace and there was comfort that came to them. Verse 2 of uh, chapter 7 says, Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. And we have cheated no one. In 1 Corinthians 5, uh, Paul refers to the immoral man who was sleeping with his father's wife. And the Corinthians, they were accepting of this man's immorality and they were even promoting it as a, a license to sin because they're using God's grace. Uh, as a license to sin. Paul rebukes them, and thankfully the man was put out of fellowship until he repented. Um, When the man finally did repent, though, there were some who uh, did not feel like the man should be restored. But Paul praises the Corinthians who took action uh, against this man's sinful behavior, which resulted in his repentance. Paul wrote the letter to correct them, and as a result, Many of the Corinthians uh, believed uh, his, and they listened to his correction um, to Paul's joy. But there are also just a, a few, uh, there are some in the Corinthian church who, who had still closed their hearts to him. And Paul was not the kind of person who would wrong or corrupt or cheat anybody. Uh, we see his character in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 9. Uh, and it says... And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself. We see that as um, in Paul's writing of this letter, you can really see his sincere love for them. You know, they have their hearts closed off to him, but he His heart's wide open to them. He wants to show them his sincere love and care for them. Um, And he doesn't have any wrong motives in writing to them and correcting them. When the Corinthians uh, read this part of the letter, they must have thought, we need to open our hearts. Paul would never do anything to hurt us. He loves us, but do we love him? He's not trying to take advantage of us. He's not even trying to make money off of us. We need to listen. Verse three says, I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. In the last chapter, chapter six, Paul reminds them of how his heart is open to them and how he's always thinking about them, how he loves them and he cherishes them. And he longs for this this small group of Corinthians that were misled to, that they would repent um, and just be like the majority who have repented already. And he's—you can really see Paul's heart in this. This verse, he's saying, you know, we we genuinely care for you, Corinthians. You know, we would do anything for you. We would live or die, whatever it took. And you can really see Paul's shepherd heart for the unrepentant sinners in Corinth. He sees them wandering away in the distance wandering from the truth, and he corrects them out of love. We have a similar shepherd, the the Lord is our shepherd, and he longs for all of us to open our hearts to him, to be open to correction, to be open to listening to his word. The Lord would do anything, and he already has done everything on the cross, to draw our hearts closer to him. Is there anything in your life that you're holding back from That's holding you back from being drawn closer to him. Verse four says, Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. In verse five, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, Inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. When they read this, the Corinthians must have thought, Paul, Paul's even boasting about us to other people, to Titus and other churches. You know, he's, and he's been comforted by our repentance. He was going through a really hard trial and he was really worried about us and how we would receive this letter. But, but God comforted him through our repentance. And when his friend Titus came back to deliver the good news of our repentance This is a a good look into Paul's heart for them. Um, You can really just see how much he loves them. Um, Paul knew that the Corinthians would, they would hear his correction even though it was harsh, even though it was severe. He knew that they would open their hearts and soften them and repent. He was very confident in that. But Paul being a, a human being, just like me and you, he must have thought how will the corinthians react to my letter was it too severe was it too harsh will they reject me is all my my labor in vain you know and then titus who delivered the message must have thought you know i'm the messenger how are they going to treat me you know will they reject me uh, will they be offended um, will they see the love that's meant uh, behind this letter. God comforted Paul with the presence of his brother Titus after he delivered the letter. Not only that, but when, when Titus came back and told Paul just how repentant they were, um, it was just great cause for joy and comfort between the two of them. All the fears that they had, um, on their journey, they're they're all gone. They're turned into joy when Titus told Paul how they wished to see him again and how they were mourning over their sin and how they were even devoted to Paul. This caused Paul to rejoice much more. God comforts the downcast. Are you going through a trial where you feel like all of the walls are closing in on you? Are you tired and troubled in your heart? Are there, are there conflicts in your life where you, you worry about the future and what might happen next? Is it a, a trial of a, a long-term illness? Maybe the loss of a loved one? Or do you have broken relationships in your life that you want to have restored or people may have left you and turned against you for reasons that you don't understand? Have you been cheated or robbed, lied to, or taken advantage of? Remember this, you are not alone. God comforts the downcast. He sees us in our troubles, and he longs to comfort us. And he can do this in many ways. He might bring encouraging verses to your memory, might answer prayer, um, or even others who come alongside of you and put their their arm around you and just comfort you with their presence, like Titus. The church is a place to build each other up and we don't have to endure trials alone. God puts others in our, in our midst to comfort us, to be by our side and to bring us joy in the midst of a trial. So when you're feeling downcast and troubled lonely, discouraged, tired. Consider your brothers and sisters in Christ and lean on them, as well as God, for comfort. When one part of the, the body of Christ suffers, the others should run to the occasion to comfort each other, the part that's suffering. And we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses three through four. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see, God comforts the downcast. When you look back at your life, how have you been comforted in trials that you've been going through in your life. and Look around the room. Do you see anyone here that you can comfort today? Who can you be an encouragement today? Um, I challenge you to pick one person and just comfort them today. Verse eight says, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. The Corinthians, when they read this, they must have just thought, they must have been so comforted in knowing this, that Paul made us sorry, but it was only for a little while. And he did it out of love for us. Um, it wasn't out of false motives or anything like that. It was out of pure, Genuine care and love and concern, and you can you can see Paul's anguish when he wrote it. He knew he had to make them sorrow over their sin so that they would repent. For those who have children, you parents, um, when you have a child who is sinning or disobedient, what what do you do? Do you do you watch them and just let them keep on sinning and disobeying, or? Or do you correct them and guide them in the right way and teach them the right way um, for the future? Corrections are not fun for anyone. There's no parent in the audience that really enjoys punishing their child. But we understand that the result is for the child's benefit. We punish them and correct them so that they don't make these same mistakes in the future. It's out of sincere love for that child that you you correct them. Verse nine says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Paul rejoices because their their temporary sorrow is what led to their repentance. And just as any parent rejoices over a child who listens to discipline and changes their ways, Paul rejoices when the Corinthian church listens to his correction and repents. Since the Corinthians were made sorry in the right way, in a godly manner, they were able to see Paul's love for them, uh, his his true intentions. And the letter, while it was harsh and they didn't want to hear it, it drew them closer to him. and made them sorry in the right way. Um, I can honestly say that I'm the worst sinner in this room. I'm glad when I look back, though, at all the times my parents corrected me. I was made sorry for a short time when they corrected me but that led to my repentance. Their love for me and their correction for me is what led to my repentance. The Corinthians would be able to see this comfort that while Paul made them sorrowful, they were made sorrowful in the right way. Verse 10 says, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted but the sorrow of the world produces death. The Corinthians would have been very comforted in reading this, that, you know, we were corrected in love, and this led us to repent in a godly manner. And because of this, we don't we don't have any regrets. So, what does what does godly sorrow and what does worldly sorrow even look like? Um, when, when David was confronted by Nathan in 2 Samuel 12, 13, uh, he says, so David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin, you shall not die. David's immediate response once he reco- uh, recognized his own sin was to confess his sin and repent. We see in Psalm 51 um, just exactly what's going through his mind um, after David has his conversation with Nathan. David confesses his sin. And in Psalm 51, verse three through four, it says, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. and done this evil in your sight. David then prays for cleansing of his heart in verse 10 of Psalm 51. He says, "Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me." David is truly broken and contrite over his sin, and his heart it was changed. Yeah, there, was a, there was a year or so that took took place between the sin and his repentance, and his heart was hardened, but the you could see that David's heart was tender towards God's word, and the sin pierced him, and it, it really affected him. He was broken and contrite over his sin. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So that's what godly sorrow looks like. And on the other hand, we have worldly sorrow. We see this with Judas after betraying Jesus. In Matthew 27, three through five, it says, then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. The difference is that worldly sorrow is your only remorseful over your sin. There's no change of heart. Judas was remorseful, but not repentant. His worldly sorrow led to death. He was so sorry that he traded Jesus for a few pieces of silver, but he was not repentant. We see even more of what godly sorrow looks like in verse 11. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. And you can really see Paul's excitement over this. He says, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication in all things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And the Corinthians would have read this, and it would have been such a comfort to them you know he's, they're reading this and saying, "Wow Paul is really encouraging us He's he's so grateful for how repentant we were that that it was true repentance and not uh, just worldly sorrow so listen to this what does what does uh sorrow what, what does that repentance actually look like um The sorrow that produced repentance led to a change in actions. That's the key here, is that repentance, that godly sorrow leads to repentance that leads to a change in actions. Far too often people have what we would call false repentance, where they they come before us and they say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that, and then they go into it again and again. but so how can we know if somebody is truly repentant and genuine and they're, they're telling us from the heart you know, that they have changed? When they come back to me, you know, how do I know the difference? Well, let's look at what the Lord has told us in the Word of God. It says, what diligence. It's just having this, this strong conviction as opposed to not really caring at all about your sin. And the second one is what clearing of yourselves. It's exonerating, it's staying away from it. it's I'm never going to come back to that again. It's it's disgusting to me. It's a strong desire to clear yourself away from that sin to remove even the stigma, even a hint of that sin. This to make sure that everybody knows that you've repented and changed. And three, What indignation, just having this displeasure and anger and outrage over your sin, just like, I can't believe I did this. And what fear, it's having that reverence for God, that that awe and submission, fear that I have dishonored God. And what vehement desire, the Corinthians longed to have their rights, uh, their wrongs corrected and to see Paul again, they wanted that that relationship that was was broken to be restored. And what zeal, they had that strong desire to be right with God. It's when you love God so much that you hate your sin because you know it hurts God so much. And what vindication, it's true repentance seeks justice The sin in the church was dealt with promptly in the Corinthians case. There was a a sin in my life that it grew and grew and it went on for too long. I I would confess it before the Lord and I acknowledge my sin and quote Psalm 51, and ask for forgiveness for the sin, and repent, and then sin again. And then I would acknowledge my sin and confess it before the Lord, and then sin again. And this went on for way too long. I was living a defeated Christian life. When I was at the Galley program, uh, a friend of mine uh, gave me a verse and the Lord grabbed my attention with this. It's uh, Hosea 14.4, it says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. And this, this verse really grabbed my attention. It, it just showed me that despite my backsliding, god was still forgiving god was still loving i was for far too long i was like a dog returning to eat its vomit constantly turning away from god and then turning to god and then turning away from god i wasn't truly repentant i was just remorseful over that sin jeremiah 31 3 says the lord has appeared of old to me saying yes I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you." And that was another verse that the friend shared with me, and it's, it just really showed me that his loving kindness is, is always there. He's always willing, with an outstretched arm, to forgive. Um, his loving kindness is what led me to repentance. My heart was softened when I when I heard this verse, and I began to see my sin the way that God sees it. I was truly broken and contrite over my sin. Hebrews 8, 12 says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. The Lord's mercy and love That's what drew me back to him. And how can I help but love him when he loved me so? And now I rejoice because the Lord, he has healed my backsliding. He has loved me freely. He has turned away from me. I was convicted of my sin and how unrepentant my heart was And now I've asked God for forgiveness and I'm looking to God for strength in the, to help me to stay away from that sin. And I'm disgusted by that sin in my life and I wanna view it the way that God views it. To have nothing to do with it. And I have a desire to be right with God uh, and pursue Him wholeheartedly. I've repented. Though I was made sorrowful for a short time over my sin, I'm so happy that that friend came alongside of me and shared that verse with me. Took the time out of love and corrected me. Another friend of mine shared this very encouraging um, quote to me um, as I continue to look to God to over, um, overcome this sin. They said, pray that the things of this world would become more bitter, so that he would become even sweeter. And that was something that really encouraged my heart, and um, it's been very helpful so far. Verse uh, 12 says, therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who had suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. The Corinthians must have been thinking, wow, you know, Paul really, he really cares for us. He wrote to us because he loves us. He saw the area that needed correction in our lives, and he cared enough to tell us. Paul, uh, Paul wrote the letter out of love to correct them. verse uh, Proverbs 27, five through six, it um, talks about the same thing. It says, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I'm really grateful for the uh, those two friends that came alongside of me and corrected me and encouraged me w- with those things they shared with me um, because they did it in love and I repented and I also remember my parents many times correcting me over sins in my life Um, before I was saved you know I was a liar a blasphemer disobedient to my parents a thief a God hater a drug user I invented ways to do evil I had no love or mercy for others. I was stubborn, unrepentant, self-seeking. I rejected the truth of God, and I was full of anger and envy. My parents corrected me out of love, and I repented. God saved my soul, and he's given me victory over so many of these areas already. I want to encourage you with this verse. Uh, James five twenty says that him who turns a sinner from the error of his way, let him, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. My parents and these two friends, they corrected me and encouraged me. They came to me and told me these things because they cared for me, because they loved me, because they wanted me to pursue God wholeheartedly. Is there someone in your life whom you can share the same love for today and correct them if they're um, wandering away from the truth of God? And now verse 13 through 15. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort and we rejoiced exceedingly uh, more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. When the Corinthians read this, they must have thought, wow, Paul and Titus, they were filled with joy, and they were refreshed because our repentance, and because our repentance was so genuine and true. Verse 14 says, for if in anything I boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. And what a comfort that would be to the Corinthians to hear. Paul boasted to Titus about them and and they proved him to be right. They were repentant. Paul was so confident that the Corinthians would hear his words that you know, he was boasting to Titus, you know, they're gonna listen. Um, he knew that they loved him, that they would listen, that they would repent, and that the Corinthians would be restored. Think about the phrase in verse 15, it says, the obedience of you all. Isn't this the same Corinthian church who had divisions in the church? Um, They were divided. There were some who followed Apollo and some who followed Paul. Were there fights and divisions and, well, now there's unity in the church. Um, There's unity and obedience in the church, which is even more reason for joy. A person who is truly repentant will say, I messed up, I sinned, and now all I want to do is be made right I'm gonna do whatever it takes to be made right. Nathan likely had the same fears um, and reasons to, to stop him from correcting David. And Paul must have been really worried about how the Corinthians would respond to his rebuke. But it takes people like Paul and Nathan and Titus who step out in faith and they trust God and obey God and they show humility and the desire to see others reconciled. It's obedience to God that paves the way for reconciliation. And finally in verse 16 we see, therefore I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. And Paul is really just telling the, the Corinthians, "You know, I love you, I trust you, I know that you are truly repentant And that just brings me so much joy, Corinthians. I don't have to worry about you anymore. God has brought me comfort and joy and I have complete confidence that you are repentant and will continue to obey God's word. Is there an area in your life where you are not repentant? I know for so long I had an area in my life and I'm so grateful for the friends who came by and my parents who corrected me. Pray that if you you are um, having a closed heart to, to God's word, pray that God would give you a heart that's sensitive to sin, that you would see it the way God sees it. And are there people around you who are wandering off, people wandering away from what is right? When you see someone Sinning, do you correct them in love, or do you just remain silent? Do you let it just slip by, put it under the rug, or do you speak up and say something in love? Are you willing to put yourself in a position where you might be rejected for correcting someone out of love? I want to encourage you to follow Titus and Nathan and Paul's example of restoring a sinning brother. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for another morning to study your word, to dive into what you have to say to us. Lord, we pray that as we go out this week, and even today, that we would have hearts for the, the lost, people who um, need correction, people who uh, need to be restored to you. And we pray, Lord, if there's anything in our hearts that is preventing us from being drawn closer to you, that we would see this and that, it would, um, that our hearts would be tender and softened. Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.